This is FatimaSouls.com. Okay, we're back with Fatima Souls, July 2023. We're glad that everybody could be here to welcome in our dear friend, Dr. Ed Mazza. Um, Dr. Mazza is one of the leading church historians in the world, uh, expert on Fatima, and basically on all current events in the church. Um, he also has a book out that I recommend everybody pick up if you haven't already. It's called The Third Secret of Fatima, The Synodal Church, Volume 1, Pope Benedict's Resignation. It's an unbelievable book. If you're on the fence about the situation with our current vicar of Christ, the occupant of the chair of Peter, Dr. Mazza has spent much, much time putting together, not, not conjecture, but facts. And I recommend everybody get this book. I don't care if, you know, you just make time to read it and read it with an open heart. Pray before you read it, but get this book. Pass it on to your friends, to your priest, um, because this book is needed right now for people to start thinking clearly about the situation we have uh, going on in the church. So I would highly recommend that. Also, um, Dr. Mazza has classes that he offers. Uh, you can go to his website, uh, mmmaza.com. I'm actually a student of his. I've learned unbelievable stuff about the papacy. Um, we're in talking about Romans and the barbarians, the history of Rome, um, how everything came to be. You're not going to get this in probably your Sunday school class. You're not going to get it uh, in the newspaper or on Fox News. So he's the guy that can help you truly understand how we got to this point, where we've been, and, and where we're going. So I recommend that. Go to edmondmazza.com. I think he's got one starting August 15th on Our Blessed Mother. Um, I'm looking forward to that. I think it's Mary Destroyer of Heresy, uh, honoring the 50th anniversary of Our Lady uh, at Akita, Japan, and the message there, which everybody should be familiar with. Um, anyway, uh, today is also the 106th anniversary of the third apparition of Our Lady of Fatima. So I would ask everybody today at some time, maybe reflect on that, read it. Um, I, th I believe it's when the children saw the vision of hell, and uh, that had a striking influence on my life, uh, listening to Lucia describe that vision of hell. I think everybody should reflect on that because hell is real, heaven's real, but we need to get really in tune now with um, the truths about our faith and not what people are saying that aren't true. So anyway, I'd like to say a quick prayer to Our Lady, and then we're going to turn it over to Dr. Mazza because he has a lot of good things for us tonight, and we're very blessed to have them. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy, Holy Mary, Mary, Mother, Mother of, God, of God, pray, pray for, for us sinners, sinners now and now at the, at the hour, hour of our death. death, amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Okay, Dr. Mazza, you have our attention. We look forward to hearing what you have to say. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for your generous introduction, George. Well, you know, as Father Karapi used to say, uh, we'll begin with hell so that we don't end, <laughs> so that we don't end there, end up there. Uh, as you rightly pointed out, today is the 106th anniversary of the third apparition of Our Lady of Fatima to Lucia, Jacinta, and Francisco in July of 1917. And it is when she showed them a vision of hell, which terrified the children 
to such an extent that they had, Lucy has said that if Our Lady had not already promised to take them to heaven, uh, they would have died from fright on the spot. They saw uh, demons that looked like, sort of like animals. And uh, they saw souls without any equilibrium in the flames. And then Our Lady said, uh, it's interesting that Our Lady of Fatima showed them a vision, which is crystal clear, but then she gives them an explanation anyway. And she says, you have just seen hell where the souls of poor sinners go. In order to save them, God wishes to establish in the world devotion to my immaculate heart. This is almighty God telling us what he wants to accomplish. And unfortunately, over the last 106 years, uh, the popes especially have dropped the ball on this. The popes, the cardinals, the bishops, a lot of priests. It was their responsibility to establish devotion to Mary's Immaculate Heart in the world, not ecumenical relations with the Protestants or with Muslims or with Jews. And so what we have uh, and what I'm going to be speaking about tonight is aliens, angels and demons. Uh, because it's not merely the anniversary of Our Lady of Fatima warning us about hell, about demons. But it's this month is the 50th anniversary of the first apparition of Our Lady of Akita to Sister Sasagasa, I always mispronounce her name, Sasagasa in Japan. And um, also this month is the 24th anniversary of the, uh, of the death of Father Malachi Martin who is known to not just Catholics, but to uh, millions of people throughout the world through his novels uh, that he wrote and his other books that he wrote. And um, he died at the end of July in um, 1999. And he was a, a priest who was in the know. And so we're gonna be talking about what he knew and what maybe he died for because he had certain knowledge that other, other people did not want to get out to the world. Um, and in his, one of the most famous revelations that he uh, came out with uh, is in his windswept house, in the opening chapter, he makes an extraordinary claim that in uh, 1963, Lucifer himself, was enthroned in the Vatican in a during a black mass. Um, so there, uh, we find ourselves as faithful Catholics in a world of darkness, and it's important that we take stock of how we got here. What is the nature of the problem? and how to get out of it. You know, the Catholic, the brilliant Catholic poet, 
Dante Alighieri. Like Our Lady of Fatima, he talked about hell, and then he talked about purgatory and about heaven or paradiso. And although his poem is 14,000 lines long in Italian, the opening canto is quite dramatic and quite famous. And he says, midway through the journey of our life, I found myself in a dark wood because I had strayed from the true path. Now on one level, Dante was having a, a midlife crisis, uh, which those of us in our 40s and 50s can understand, uh, particularly men. But it's, it's more than that. It's a spiritual crisis. And uh, I bring this up because not only it ties into what we're talking about tonight, aliens, demons, uh, and angels, but also because uh, this fall, uh, I'm going to be offering a course on uh, Dante's Divine Comedy, where he takes us through, as I say, hell, purgatory, and heaven. And Our Lady, according to Dante in this you know, fictional journey, Our Lady had asked uh, St. Lucy to uh, to ask the Roman poet Virgil to help Dante out of the dark wood because he could not get out of it himself. And that's one of the themes I want to stress tonight is that despite what many Catholic YouTube people will tell you, uh, and this is one of the things I want to get at and if I forget, please remind me during the question and answer. Uh, there is an urgency to do something about this situation now before it gets worse. But it's only through Our Lady's intercession that we will be able to get out of this quagmire that the church and the world is in. On this date, 106 years ago, Our Lady said the solution. She gave us the solution. She said, I will come to ask for the consecration of Russia to my Immaculate Heart. And that if the Pope and the bishops make this consecration, she said, Russia will be converted and a period of peace will be given to the world. If not, Russia will spread her errors throughout the world, causing wars and persecutions. The good would be martyred, the Holy Father would suffer, and various nations would be annihilated. Now, Sister Lucia wrote these things down many years later even though they happened in July 13th, 1917, she didn't actually write them down until the early 1940s. And as terrifying as the vision of hell was, and as terrifying as the annihilation of nations is, 
the third portion of Our Lady's revelation to the children was even more terrifying because Sister Lucia could not bring herself to actually write it down. In uh, January of 1943, I believe, it took an apparition of Our Lady to give her the strength to actually write the secret down. I, as, uh, as George kindly mentioned, I, I talk about this in my book, The Third Secret of Fatima and the Synodal Church. And this is only volume one on uh, Papa Benedetto's uh, so-called resignation. But uh, in one of the later chapters in this book, I talk about Sister Lucia actually the third secret being so terrible that she wasn't actually able to commit it to paper without Our Lady appearing to her and comforting her and giving her the ability to write it down. So the solution to our problems is to obey heaven. The fact that things have gotten to this point is because we haven't obeyed heaven. And so I, I don't have a lot of patience for the theory or the theories that, well, you know, in another 50 years, the church will turn around. Or throughout church history, we've had rough times. Uh, no, we are in the worst period in church history, period. And <laughs> only an ignorant person would say that we've got decades to go to fix this. Uh, and so let's let's focus in on on Fatima. Let's focus in on on Akita. And what they have in common is the third secret. And in that third secret, it reveals. I mean, the church has kept it hidden, as many of you who are watching this talk already know that ever since 1957, 1958, Sister Lucia, the only surviving seer of Fatima, was muzzled until about 1989, when it was uh, convenient for the bureaucrats in the Vatican to let her speak and to let her say certain things that, that went with the party line. Um, so, uh, in fact, let me introduce this this idea here now. Um, in her final public interview, you know, full length, unedited, in 1957 with a Father Fuentes, uh, our uh, Sister Lucia said that the devil is in a mood for engaging Our Lady in a final battle. He knows his time is short, and he wants to drag as many souls to hell as, as possible. And I believe she was saying this in 1957 because the third secret, which, as I said, she had such a terrible time actually committing to paper, was supposed to be revealed in 1960. But in 1958, Pope Pius XII died. And Pope John XXIII, who succeeded him, refused to release the third secret. 
And at the Second Vatican Council in October of 1962, he famously said, we don't want to listen to the prophets of doom. A clear reference to the words of Our Lady of Fatima. Well, if that didn't doom the council, I don't know what did. So, the devil is in a mood for a final battle. He knows his time is short. The officials of the Catholic Church kept the third secret secret when it should have been revealed. What does the third secret talk about? Well, thanks to people like Father Malachi Martin and others, we have snippets of the truth. And that startling truth, which horrified Sister Lucia so much that she couldn't even commit it to paper, is that Satan himself will infiltrate the very top of the Catholic Church. Now, we can see that now, <laughs> uh, you know, over 60 years later, 65 years later, in hindsight, very clearly, because we have this uh, synod on synodality coming up in October and all of the preparatory work for that and the, the cast of unsavory characters that are involved in this synod on, on sin. <laughs> which is going to uh, create a new church, a, a church guided by some spirit, but not the Holy Spirit. And so I want to stress again, it's important for us to understand where we are in the trajectory here. We're not at the very beginning when the seeds of, of infiltration and of evil were being sown. We are at the very end when, uh, when God is about to bring his hand down and put an end to this mercifully. Uh, because the church was sabotaged, society has been sabotaged. And right now, the, the new church, the synodal church, is cooperating with the forces of Freemasonry and Marxism to cooperate completely with the Agenda 2030 of the United Nations, of the World Economic uh, Forum, the Davos crowd that are meeting, meeting right now in, in Sun Valley, Idaho, of all places, uh, which is actually motto, modeled on Davos, Switzerland, but we'll can maybe talk about that during the question and answer. Um, and so when, uh, when Sister Lucia was silenced, uh, the officials of the Catholic Church were trying to keep the truth from getting out to the Catholic faithful. Because if the truth got out, uh, we would know what to look for. And we've seen it. We've seen it. Uh, Dietrich von Hildebrand. Uh, in as early as uh, the, the late 60s, wrote the book, The Trojan Horse in the City of God. And then 50 years ago, he wrote The, uh, the Devastated Vineyard. 
it's an image from our Lord's parables, which is applicable to the Catholic Church post-Vatican II. And by 1972, 1973, things had gotten terribly out of hand. The, there was a bishop from Germany, Bishop of Regensburg, where Cardinal Ratzinger was uh, uh, at the university there. Bishop uh, Graber uh, did a book exactly 50 years ago on the uh, anniversary of the death of St. Athanasius. St. Athanasius lived at the time of the Arian crisis when most bishops were not thoroughly Catholic. In fact, a sizable majority of them were heretical. And it was Athanasius contra mundum, Athanasius against the world. The, the bishop of Alexandria, Egypt, who was exiled, excommunicated for standing up for the truth. And so Bishop Graber of Regensburg brought up this model of St. Athanasius. And in his book, uh, he says that the church has been infiltrated by Freemasonry, and this is no accident. This is not an accident. And he mentions a book by Monsignor Dillon, which I'm happy to say has been reprinted by Tan Books. A friend of mine uh, has uh, uh, edited this book from the 19th century uh, with editor's notes and footnotes, and Tan Books has just published it, The War of uh, Antichrist, I think it's, uh, I'll have to get the exact title during the question and answer. Um, so we were warned repeatedly that things were going to get to this point, that I guess the next thing I want to talk about, and I'll, I'll say, give one more warning, Our Lady of La Salette. In 1846, Our Lady appeared to uh, two unlettered children, very ignorant, peasant children, Melanie and Maxime, and she was crying. She had her head in her hands, and she was crying uh, because the, there were sins that were crying to heaven at that time, which were going to pave the way for the the floodgates that have been opened since then. Now, Melanie and Maxime had secrets revealed to them by Our Lady of La Salette. And again, this is material for question and answer, but as time went by, the, the last secret or the fullest manuscript that we have of the secret of La Salette by Melanie came out in 1879. And this version, the 1879 version, was actually sanctioned by the Vatican. Uh, a lot of people might not know this, but that version of, of The Secret of La Salette was actually placed on the Index of Forbidden Books in the 1920s. And the reason why, or at least I think the reason why, is because it contained, among other surprising phrases, Rome will lose the faith and become the seat of Antichrist. So 
the secret of La Salette, the third secret of Fatima, the, the message of Our Lady of Akita, Japan, they all come together to confirm the signs that and the evidence that we can see uh, all around us. Now, I've talked about how this truth or these truths were suppressed, but through private revelations, God has given us access to these truths. But also, because we are in the later stages of the devil's final battle, and there's a good book, that's a title of a good book by Father Paul Kramer uh, on that subject. Uh, because we're in the later stages of the devil's final battle, we are deep in a psychological operation, or I should say operations. At the, at the dawn of mankind, the serpent did a psyop on Eve and Adam, our first parents, right? And so the same thing is happening now. There are psychological operations that are being perpetrated against us from leaders in the church and from leaders in the West and leaders in the East. It's hard to know these days what to believe, what not to believe because of that. And I'd like to talk about some of these psyops and how they can be seen through by staying in the truth. Back at the first Synod on the Family, Cardinal Burke released a book about standing in the truth of Christ. That's what we have to do. And the first psyop that I, I need to speak about uh, especially because it's in the news today, is uh, aliens. <laughs> uh, it's funny, but uh, let me read to you from Fox News. Fox News reported this headline this morning. Congressman has grim take after access to UFO footage, quote, we can't handle it, unquote. Repre uh, Representative Tim Burchett, who sits on the House Oversight Committee involved in UFO hearings, said he was shown classified footage that hasn't been released to the public. Now, some of you may already know that there is some footage that was released to the public. I believe it was shown on the, the famous news uh, broadcast, 60 Minutes. Uh, and you can, you can watch it on, on YouTube or Rumble or whatever platform you use to watch videos. And it is quite startling, the footage that has been released. And so, um, let me, I want to read to you from this article. Uh, I, if you bear with me just for 10 seconds here, I need to get something. So this uh, representative, Tim Burchett, of, uh, a Republican from Tennessee, this is what he said. If they're out there, meaning the uh, extraterrestrials, and if they have this kind of technology, then they could turn us into a charcoal briquette, Burchett said. 
And if they can travel light years or at the speeds that we've seen, and physics as we know it, fly underwater, they don't show a, a heat trail, things like that, then we are vastly out of our league. We can't handle it, Birchett said during his podcast appearance. We couldn't fight them off if we wanted to. That's why I don't think they're a threat to us or they would already have been. And then the article says that his startling comments came after whistleblower uh, David Grush, a decorated Air Force veteran, who is considered by many to be credible, came forward with claims the government has been running a secret UFO retrieval program. The House Oversight Committee is preparing a hearing to discuss Grush's unverified claims. Burkett and fellow Republican Rep. Anna Paulina Luna of Florida will lead the committee's investigation. Now, again, this is not the only news report to come out of late because the, the United States government and the military uh, have been admitting uh, the possibility of UFOs and even suggesting that they're real. And even trusted conservative commentators like uh, Tucker, Tucker Carlson, uh, he recently did a, a podcast on Twitter in which he, he sort of if I'm understanding him right, sort of takes this whistleblower at face value that our government knows that aliens exist and that they're keeping it from us or they're only beginning to 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 crack open uh, and be and get some of this information out. Now, how to understand this, at least uh, as I see it as a PhD historian uh, who's taught college for 14 years um, and as a faithful Catholic. Well, first of all, we have to see this uh, UFO scare within the context of all the other scares that are out there and all the other shiny objects that are out there to distract us. Right. Have, have, have you felt manipulated over the last uh, three, three and a half years? If it's not the bug, then it's the injection, right? Or if it's not the if it's not the jab, then it's the conflict overseas, right? Um, so let's talk a little bit about what the representative Burkett said that there is footage, and yet yeah, you can. Again, you can go online and watch the footage yourself of crafts that are apparently breaking the laws of physics. Uh, for example, there are 2,000 cases of UFOs traveling at velocities of more than 5,000 miles per hour. 
Now, just, just as a point of reference, commercial jetliners, if I'm not mistaken, they travel at around 300 miles per hour. This is 5,000 miles per hour. And not only do we do are these objects moving at such velocities, but there's no heat friction detec de detectable. And there's no sonic boom. You know what I mean by that? When I was a kid growing up in New York, our house was near the airport. Every day I could hear the Concorde landing. And I don't know if it did permanent damage to my, my ears, but man, uh, when that thing was traveling at twice the speed of sound, or actually by the time it was landing, it was going even slower than that, but it really hurt your ears. Um, so no heat friction, no sonic boom, and there's no debris at, at uh, alleged crash sites. And this has prompted uh, evangelical Christian astronomer, a gentleman by the name of Hugh Ross, to state that because these phenomena don't obey the laws of physics, they can't possibly be physical. By that fact alone, it rules out the possibility of this being extraterrestrial life. Because if, if there were such things, they would abide by the natural order, the physical universe. But as he points out, in his book, uh, Lights in the Sky and Little Green Men, as, as Christians, we do know about a race of intelligent beings that don't operate according to the laws of physics. And that would be angels and demons, not aliens, okay? And so, Dr. Ross argues that 99% of these UFO observations either have natural explanations or they're military operations or they are hoaxes in some cases or misunderstandings. The planet Venus is often mistaken for a UFO or the, the Pleiades, that's a star cluster that is sometimes seen right above the horizon that can be mistaken for UFOs. Um, but of the 1% that are not natural phenomena, they're, as, as I just said, because they, they defy the laws of physics, they can't be a physical phenomena, they have to be uh, metaphysical, beyond the physical, they have to be angels or demons. And in this case, it's demons. And why do I say that? Because Dr. Ross has interviewed many, many, uh, let's say UFO enthusiasts who believe 
that they actually experienced a UFO abduction, you know, close encounters of the third kind, right? <laughs> um, from which the, the, the movie from 1977, was it, got, got its name. Um, this, uh, this fall is the uh, 30th anniversary of the X-Files. So many of uh, you younger uh, Generation X out there or uh, older uh, millennials uh, will remember that show from when it was uh, a smash hit on, on Fox. Um, and you, all, you will also remember that the, the catch, the tagline, right, the catchphrase for that show was the truth is out there. Well, that, that much is true. The truth about this and about everything else that's happening right right, right now is out there. And uh, I'm doing my, my bit here to try to get the truth to you. Those people who claim that they were abducted by aliens or who have had contact with aliens, uh, Dr. Ross says that in every case, it, it's those experiences only happen to people who are deeply into the occult. I'll repeat that. Virtually all alien contact with, you know, air quotes, has happened to people who are deeply into the occult. And in fact, when they get rid of their Ouija boards or they stop seeing psychics, when they get out of the new age, guess what happens? No more contact with the aliens. And in every case of these close encounters with the alleged aliens, it's always bad. It's never a, a good experience. You know, we c the, the fathers of the church tell us that we can distinguish between apparitions of good angels versus apparitions of, of fallen angels. Because when good angels appear, those who experience them might be afraid at the beginning because to encounter an extraordinary being is a shocking thing for us mortals. But that quickly goes away and you quickly have a feeling of goodness, of joy. The angel appeared to Our Lady and said, do not fear, Mary, you have found favor with God. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee, right? Um, Muhammad in Islam, is said to have experienced the angel Gabriel, but he was thoroughly terrified, thoroughly so. And uh, perhaps that's a discussion for another night. So at the very least, these people who experience the aliens the mildest interaction that they come away with are nightmares. And uh, 
in the worst case scenario, they've actually died. These are all signs by which we can know the truth of this matter. And that is that this is not physical and it's not from God. It's from the fallen angels. It's from Lucifer. Furthermore, there are a group of UFO enthusiasts who believe that they have received messages or that others who have had close encounters have received messages from the aliens. For example, uh, there is something called the Arankian book or Arankian book, which is in some editions is either 2000 pages or 4000 pages which is supposed to be the revelation of these aliens to humanity, that they come to us with a message. One third of, of these Iranian books deny our, our, what are they, what are they, what are they talking about? What are the aliens talking about? How Christ is not God. What does St. John say? In, in the New Testament, I believe it's in his letters, that whoever denies the divinity of Christ is antichrist. We have been set up to believe this, to believe that this is all real. Uh, since the 1950s, Hollywood has been producing sci-fi movies uh, accustoming us to the notion that there are extraterrestrials. It picked up in the post-Vatican two years in the 1970s with Close Encounters of the Third Kind, E.T., the extraterrestrial, uh, and any number of movies since then, Independence Day, right? Um, I don't need to catalog them for you. It's part of a psyop to get people who are not with God, who have not had a Catholic upbringing, a traditional Catholic upbringing, to buy into all of this. All right. So if the aliens should convey a message that uh, they're offering the true religion, and it's environmentalism, and of course, everybody will go along with it, including the man who calls himself Pope in the Vatican today, most likely. Did you hear Archbishop Vigano, in a statement he made very recently, said, uh, he, he basically said words to the effect of, uh, I don't know who Jorge Bergoglio thinks he's the Pope of, but it's not the Catholic Church. And he referred to uh, Jorge Bergoglio as the uh, the false prophet forerunner of the Antichrist. Perhaps that's a good lead in to uh, the next thing I want to talk about, and that is uh, the anniversary on July 1st of this month. The 60th anniversary 
of, according to Father Malachi Martin, the enthronement of the fallen angel Lucifer in the Vatican itself. Now, again, we learn about this from the Windswept House uh, book, novel, that came out in 1996, 1997. But there's also been an article recently in The Remnant, I believe by Father Brian Harrison, who knew and socialized with Father Malachi Martin in Manhattan before his death. I'd like to read to you some quotes from uh, and uh, during the question and answer, I'll recommend some websites where I've, I've gotten this information. Um, first of all, this notion that the devil has somehow infiltrated the upper echelons of the Catholic Church is something that even popes have admitted. For example, in 1972, there's the famous statement of Pope Paul VI, who himself dropped the ball uh, during the previous uh, nine years of his pontificate. But in 1972, I believe, was when he came out and said that the smoke from, from some fissure, the smoke of Satan has entered into the sanctuary of God. That's a very famous line. But on October 13th, 1977, the anniversary of Our Lady of Fatima, the final apparition, the miracle of the sun, Pope Paul VI said, the tale of the devil is functioning in the disintegration of the Catholic world. And he goes on. Now, let me stop there and explain what he means by the tale of the devil. When we read the Apocalypse, the book of Revelation, chapter 12, it says that the woman clothed with the sun who gives birth to a king that rules all mankind, that's obviously Jesus and Mary, uh, when, uh, uh, when the dragon, the old serpent, Satan, fights against her, tries to devour her child, and then tries to get at her. Uh, this is chapter 12 of uh, the Apocalypse. Um, he, this, this dragon, the word in Hebrew is Nahash. It says that he, he waved his tail, and a third of the stars fell from the sky. Now, there's many layers of interpretation for that, but one of the levels of interpretation of that is that that refers to the cardinals, to the bishops of the church. So there was a double meaning when Paul VI said in October 1977, the tale of the devil is functioning in the disintegration of the Catholic world. And Paul VI went on to say, the darkness of Satan has entered and spread throughout the Catholic Church, even to its summit. Apostasy, 
the loss of faith is spreading throughout the world and into the highest levels within the church, unquote. Now, these words of Paul VI were reported in the Italian newspaper Corriere della Sera, which is based in the city of Milan, on uh, October 14th, 1977, if you want to go look this up. So uh, this is not made up. Uh, this, is, this is quite uh, quite real. This is not uh, conspiracy theory, tinfoil hat stuff. And of course, we know that the uh, the Pope's exorcist, Father Gabriel Amorth, said that today Satan rules the world. The masses no longer believe in God. And yes, Satan is in the Vatican, unquote. And oddly enough, he didn't say this to the remnant or he didn't say this to uh, the Fatima Crusader, although he did grant interviews to them as well. But he said that to Vanity Fair uh, of all of all magazines. Um, so let's uh, let's go to perhaps the source of this, uh, the beginning of this satanic uh, shroud that is hovering over the Catholic Church. Let's go back to June 29th, 1963. Now, on June 24th, 1963, there was a conclave. You see, Pope John XXIII died right at the beginning of the Second Vatican Council, and so they held a conclave. And um, Cardinal Montini was chosen as Pope, unfortunately, and um, he was to be... Uh, enthroned as pope on june 29th which is appropriate because that is the feast of saints peter and paul and they make a big deal out of that in the city of rome because peter was crucified upside down on vatican hill where saint peter's stands today and saint paul was beheaded and both of them uh, suffered martyrdom under the emperor nero who himself is an antichrist uh, figure. Um, now, uh, in his book, Father Malachi Martin said that this happened on June 29th, 1963. Father Harrison, in his Remnant article, uh, says that this is Father Malachi Martin doing what's called faction, with air quotes, mixing fact and fiction for plausible deniability and sometimes to protect the innocent. Uh, it turns out that apparently it actually took place on July 1st, 1963. What took place on July 1st, 1963? The Black Mass. So all these events were happening simultaneously. On the 24th, um, Pope Paul VI is chosen on the 29th, he is installed uh, on July the 1st, the Feast of the Precious Blood. And Satan, of course, likes to mock the Precious Blood. Uh, this Black Mass was held in the Pauline Chapel, not the Sistine Chapel, 
but the uh, the Pauline Chapel of uh, of the Vatican. And Father Harrison says that so it really happened on that date. And simultaneously, as this satanic service was held in secret in the Pauline Chapel of the Vatican in Greenville, South Carolina, uh, another satanic mass was being held. And who's carrying this out? Members of the church, high-ranking people. Uh, as far as the, the sacrifice that was done in, in America, it's no secret that uh, Joseph Bernadine, the infamous uh, Cardinal of Chicago, who also was uh, the head of the CC, USCCB for, for a long time, uh, is alleged to have participated in this. Um, again, let me uh, read to you from Father Malachi Martin. And there could be no more perfect place than the chapel of St. Paul itself, situated as it was so near to the Apostolic Palace. The complexity of the arrangements were dictated mainly by the nature of the ceremonial event to be enacted. Security was so tight in the grouping of Vatican buildings within which this gem of a chapel lay that the full panoply of the ceremonial could not possibly escape detection here. If the aim was to be achieved, if the ascent of the prince of this world was actually to be accomplished in the availing time, then every element of the celebration of the Calvary sacrifice must be turned on its head by the other and opposite celebration. The sacred must be profaned. The profane must be adored. I'll continue with this, but let me inter inter interject something here. This happened allegedly July 1st, 1963. What happened exactly 60 years later? Just a couple of weeks ago. Bergoglio and the Vatican announced uh, that Archbishop Fernandez was going to be the new head of the dicastery for the doctrine of the faith. I call him Thunderlips. Some of you might remember Rocky III with Hulk Hogan. He called himself Thunderlips, the wrestler. Yes, ladies, it's Thunderlips. Uh, I call him Thunderlips because he wrote this infamous book almost 30 years ago on, uh, on erotic kissing called Heal Me With Your Mouth. And... Uh, other other analysts have talked about this in the last 10 days. Timothy Gordon, Taylor Marshall, etc. Kennedy Hall. Uh, I don't think it's a coincidence that uh, 60 years after um, to the day from that alleged black mass that we have uh, this pervert uh, as the head of doctrine. It used to be the Holy Office of Inquisition, and then it was the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, a post that Cardinal Ratzinger held from 1981 until becoming Pope 
in uh, 2005. So I did want to interject uh, that element of, the, of, of this story. Now, of course, again, if you read Windswept House, another element of the Black Mass was the offering of a sacrificial virgin to be desecrated on the altar, which uh, we don't need to go into the details of. Um, what do we see going on in the world today? We see the desecration, the sexual desecration of children. Thank God the Sound of Freedom movie is, is number one at the box office, despite what the liberal media, what the leftists are saying against it. Uh, it's, it's, about, it's about to overtake the drug trade uh, in, in, in terms of uh, the financial gain that's happening at the expense of the innocent. And it's not just the sexual trafficking of children uh, that we see going on in the world today. Uh, it's the sexualization of, of, of children and the perversity that's going on in the schools and in society, in the media. Again, these are all hallmarks of the devil. I might also mention that this June was the 40th anniversary of the disappearance of the daughter of one of the Vatican uh, employees, uh, very famous incident or infamous incident, which became of all things, the subject of a, of a Netflix documentary last year. Um, now you, you can look this up online. Uh, there are different theories as to what happened to this girl. Her family is still seeking justice. And in fact, they just had a press conference last this week or last week uh, in which they claimed that the Vatican is trying to push this under the carpet. Uh, but I suspect that, um, that this poor girl uh, might have been the victim of a satanic mass because it would have been, you know, the late June, early July, 1983, uh, would have been the 20th anniversary of the original enthronement of Satan in the Vatican. Uh, so I, it wouldn't surprise me if uh, she, if she was uh, taken for the purposes of uh, celebrating the anniversary of that to, to re-consecrate, as it were. Um, uh, the Vatican to Satan. Now, interestingly enough, in 2002, from 2002 to 2004, the Pauline Chapel at the Vatican was uh, refurbished. It was under construction. It was under renovation at the order of Pope John Paul II. And according to Father Harrison, according to Father Malachi Martin, the truth about what happened there did come out because somebody, a high-ranking church official who was involved in it repented, and part of his uh, penance was to tell the Pope about it. I'm not sure if that was Paul VI or John Paul II, but 
we can hope that the Pauline Chapel was re-consecrated secretly to avoid scandal during that refurbishment, that renovation that went on between 2002 and 2004. We can only hope. As for the world in which we live, which is dominated by demons, again, our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's, it's against the principalities and the powers, the spirits of the air, as St. Paul calls them, right? The only way to overcome the darkness of our present moment is for a genuine pope to consecrate Russia to Mary's Immaculate Heart together with all the Catholic bishops. So we need a Catholic pope and cath all the Catholic bishops to consecrate Russia to Mary's Immaculate Heart in order to get this exorcism, in order to get the, the curse lifted off of Urbi et Orbi, right? Every New Year's Day, the Pope gives his blessing to the Urbi, which is the city, and the Orbi, which is the world. And so that's where you and I come in, by our prayers, by our penances, by our fastings, by our rosaries. And really, we need to live at, 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 at this moment as if we're not going to see July 2024. We really need to live, in my humble opinion, and uh, we, all need, we all need to work on this, me included, but we need to, to pray and, and live in the body of Christ as if there's no tomorrow in order to avert what is coming. Our Lady of Fatima said to the children what was going to happen, that the whole world would be taken over by communism, is what Sister Lucia told Professor William Thomas Walsh, the great Catholic historian, in 1946. And when the uh, interpreter asked her, does that mean the United States of America as well? She said, yes. Well, there's a prophecy that's come true or is on the verge of, of coming true. So this is it, folks. This is the time to pray, to work and to pray, as St. As Benedict says, ora et labora. And our Lord told Sister Lucia in 1931, he was upset that the consecration of Russia hadn't happened yet. And that was only two years after the initial request. And he, sa he said to Lucia, make it known to my ministers that by delaying the execution of my command to consecrate Russia, that they would follow the, the, the example of the king of France and they would follow him into misfortune. And that refers to the fact that uh, King Louis the, the 16th got his head chopped off by the French Revolution, that he was stripped of his power by the proletariat, by the third estate, 100 years to the day that the Sacred Heart of Jesus had first asked St. Margaret Mary Alacoque to consecrate France to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. Louis XIV failed to do it, Louis XV failed to do it, and then ultimately Louis XVI, just before he died, did it, but it was too late. 
Well, if, if we're following the example of the King of France, and our Lord is saying that in 1931, and the original request for the consecration of Russia, Russia was 1929, then uh, perhaps there's something to Agenda 2030. Perhaps there's something to uh, AOC saying that we only have uh, seven more years left. Uh, she said that last year or the year before. Um, if we don't, by the grace of God, find a way to, to have Our Lady's requests done, we will suffer the consequences, and a lot of us are going to be around to experience it. So I'm the type of guy, problem, solution. We know the problem. We know the solution. Let's get it done. And so one of the things I'm doing is I'm offering this course, as uh, George was kind enough to mention, starting August 15th, the Feast of Our Lady's Assumption, Mary, Destroyer of Heresy. It's going to be a seven-week class. Uh, by its very nature, I think it's going to be a powerful one. So if you go to edmundmaza.com, uh, you can sign up today for Mary, Destroyer of Heresy, this seven-week course. Um, St. Louis de Montfort said that in the end times, Jesus would come to us the same way that he came to us the first time, through Our Lady. And so St. Louis de Montfort and St. Maximilian Kolbe, they all encouraged us to consecrate ourselves to Our Lady in order to hasten the triumph of Christ the King. And so we, we really do need to double down on devotion to Our Lady, particularly as some of you might know, recently on, on the internet, Facebook, Twitter, there have been Protestant attacks on Our Blessed Lady, you know, by maybe misguided people. I don't want to attribute necessarily ill will, but nevertheless, Our Lady is under attack. The church is under attack. And so we need to stand up for the truth, stand up for the truth. I guess on that note, uh, I will close and uh, we can have questions and answers, I guess. Thank you. Okay, this is from Michael. Don't you think that the Vatican has been the seat of the Antichrist for a long time? After all, Pius IX registered in a Masonic Lodge on August 15, 1837. Well, that's the first I've heard about that. Uh, I, of course, would like to know the, the source on that uh, because uh, I've never come across that before. Uh, same person, didn't E. Michael Jones expose Father Malachi Martin as an agent for the Jews at Vatican II? regarding the promotion of Nostre Etate. Uh, well, E. Michael Jones and uh, E. Maza uh, differ on certain aspects of the question of, of the Jewish people. He did not give my book, The Scholastics and the Jews, a, a favorable, do I have it? Let me do a shameless plug here. Anyway, I wrote a book six years ago called The Scholastics and the Jews. Uh, so 
Dr. Jones and I don't see eye to eye uh, on things. Maybe we'll have a discussion one day. So I uh, would take whatever he says about Father Malachi Martin with a grain of salt. Another question from Michael. Isn't the apparition of Our Lady of Akita dubious? Uh, should we not stick to the absolutely clear history of Fatima? Well, the uh, I believe it was Pope Benedict, Cardinal Ratzinger, who said that the message of Akita and the message of Fatima are, are basically the same. And he told that to the Bishop uh, of Akita when he gave his, uh, his personal approval of that apparition. Of course, apparitions are approved first at the diocesan level. Um, does not the third secret tell us that the Novus Ordo is the abomination of desolation at the, the reign of Antichrist is nigh? Uh, Father Paul Kramer says that the third secret says that there's going to be an, e to be an evil council, which is going to introduce uh, a distortion of the mass. That could very well apply uh, not so much to Vatican II as to this upcoming synod on synodality and these new rites that they want to introduce, these uh, Pachamama uh, <laughs> and other abominations. Uh, Father Kramer is of the opinion that they're going to introduce a Eucharistic formula which will invalidate uh, the Mass. Um, and so um, we will see about that. Um, if you don't mind, fellas, I'm going to skip ahead to let some other folks uh, ask their questions. This one is from Alexandra. Uh, the Holy Face devotion is an excellent novena to make reparation for the sins of mankind. Apparently, very effective against communism. I highly recommend this novena. Yes, St. Therese of Lisieux, the little flower, was devoted to the holy face. Uh, Mother Perina, I think I'm saying her name correctly, an Italian blessed, if I'm not mistaken, she was also devoted to the holy face. And so, yes, the demons are terrified by references to the sorrowful and immaculate heart of Mary, the holy face of Jesus, the instruments of the passion. So that's another uh, weapon in our arsenal, so to speak. Uh, anonymous attendee, what are your thoughts on the idea that there is the real St. Lucy, the seer, and then the new St. Lucy, right? Lucia of Fatima. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me. Uh, I haven't delved into the, uh, the research on that. I know that it's, it's the, there's abundant information that was done recently. Um, by uh, facial experts, uh, forensic experts, and they concluded that uh, that there is a fake Sister Lucia. So that that would not surprise me at all. Uh, from David, would the Pope, chosen by cardinals, named by Bergoglio, be valid? Well, that's a vexed question. My personal take is that God would supply jurisdiction uh, to cardinals, 
assuming that they were Catholic, even if they were appointed by an anti-pope. Uh, Clay is asking the same question that came up earlier about Sister Lucia. Andrew, to your knowledge, have the Eastern Rite Catholic churches been left alone by the Vatican's modernism? And if so, do you think they will soon be attacked to change? I, I would have to double check on this, but I think he has already started going after the Eastern Rite Catholics. And I think that uh, they'll be his next target after he's finished with the Latin Rite traditional Catholics. Um, let's see here. Anonymous attendee. Uh, what happened to the boomer generation that so many believe in UFOs? Well, the, the boomers, of course, uh, grew up at a time of economic prosperity in America uh, when, materially speaking, uh, American society was at its height and uh, their parents who had sacrificed during the Depression and World War II uh, did not instill the spirit of sacrifice in the boomers, uh, not, you know, generally speaking, okay? And of course, they grew up at a time when, uh, for example, the League of Decency, the Catholic League of Decency, no longer held Hollywood's feet to the fire when it came to the Hayes Code, the moral code that kept sexualized images, drug use, and offensive language out of popular culture. Uh, that we could do a whole talk uh, just on that. Uh, didn't Pope, this is from Babs, didn't Pope Pius V uh, consecrate the world to Immaculate Heart of Mary according to Blessed Alexandrina Maria da Costa? Yes, it was uh, Pius XII on October 31st, 1942 who consecrated the world to Mary's Immaculate Heart. I did an article on this for the Fatima Crusader. And some people think, like Dr. Robert Sengenis have publicly stated, that uh, that consecration answered Our Lady's request for the consecration of Russia, because he, he not only consecrated the world, but he made a, a veiled reference to... Um, to Russia. Um, and uh, the truth is that did not satisfy the, the request that was made to Sister Lucia of Fatima. Rather, as Babs points out, it uh, did satisfy the request of Jesus to Blessed Alexandrina Maria da Costa, also of Portugal. Uh, and this is confirmed by priests who knew both uh, both young young women, both Lucia and Alex Alexandrina, who was a victim soul, and uh, uh, let's just say that uh, in answer to a request of S Sister Lucia in prayer, our Lord said that if the Pope consecrated the world to Mary's Immaculate Heart, as he had asked Alexandrina, 
he would shorten the days of World War II. But that's not the same thing as the promise of peace and the conversion of Russia as Our Lady of Fatima uh, promised and, and, and asked for the consecration. Uh, anonymous attendee, on the 13th of November, 1964, 16 months after the enthronement, Pope Paul VI, breaking with tradition, donated his papal tiara to the poor at a ceremony uh, at St. Peter's Basilica, making him the last pope to wear the ceremonial crown and the first pope to abandon the papal tiara. Any thoughts on that? Well, I, I wouldn't have uh, advised him to do that. I would not have advised him to do that. Um, I imagine that there are some sede vacantists who would look to that and say, you see, that's proof that he wasn't really pope. Uh, I don't think that's a persuasive argument, at least not by itself. Um, so uh, I wouldn't read too much into that. It's obviously not a good thing that the papal monarchy has been downgraded. Um, in my book, right, Secret, The Third Secret of Fatima and the Synodal Church, I've got a whole appendix in the back of the book on how the theology of the papacy has been undermined even by such people as um, Cardinal Ratzinger when he was younger. And uh, this whole synodality is about uh, destroying the true notion of the papacy and the true notion of the church as being monarchical rather than uh, synodal. Helen. How can the next choosing of the Pope be valid if many of the current cardinals are heretics themselves? Well, it seems to me the votes of the heretics won't won't count, uh, and only the the votes of the uh, Catholics would actually count. That would be off the top of my head there. So, I think a question that that people might want to—I I mean, I've read your book and I've you know, and I've listened to you. Uh, the sacramental aspect of Benedict's understanding of that, and I'm not trying to—people uh, still need to buy your book because they got to get the whole thing. But in a nutshell, to give people kind of a little taste of it, is that your argument, which I grasped onto it immediately when you first said it for the first time when we had you on, is that Benedict considered the papacy to be a sacramental. Uh, feature, I whatever you want to call it, like an ordination or an ontological mark that he could never lose, and and not a juridical where you're elect you're elected by the, the the conclave the man God bestows the keys on the man, and then death usually ends that, and then another man is elected. So, I think the people listening now, if they could just grasp on to on the Benedict situation that. In his mind, according to your research, like I said, I, I agree 100% with it. His understanding left what we call substantial error, which means he had the the understanding, whether he meant to or not, it doesn't really matter. It's a, it's the fact of what he actually did or he didn't do. He believed that he could resign part of the office, which he didn't resign the munis, which Father Gruner always said back in 2014, which you have to resign the munis to resign the office. And 
the way you put it together in the book, it's, it's just, it's all right there. And I don't know how anybody can read that and then walk away and say, forget about Francis being the Pope. Did Benedict resign validly? Because I think exactly. people are trying to figure out how do we get Francis out of there? To prove heresy with the Pope, it's, it's, it's a heavy lift. It's almost impossible. But your research, it, it's one day I think you're going to be proven, Doc, to be a hero in the church because, and I'm not blowing smoke because you're the only guy out there saying it. I've, I've promoted your book to a lot of people, big, and they're like, they don't want to hear it. <laughs> they don't want to hear it, right? I watched Nefarious last night for the fifth time, and here's the devil telling Edward, I am who I say I am. And Edward's like, no, you're not. <laughs> Francis says in uh, 17, I'm the bishop dressed in white, which means he's not Pope according to the third secret of Fatima. No, no, you're not. I mean, it's like the devil gives you, he tells you flat out, I'm doing this. And we say, no, you're not. So here it is. Here's the evidence right there. Benedict's understanding through all his documents, all his speeches, all his letters, that you chronicle in your book from, I don't know, 1950, 40, whatever, all the way up to where he's basically on record as saying, this is what my understanding of the papacy. And yeah, I just um, don't, I don't get it, man. I don't get how people, and I'm not talking about people, just ordinary people like us, ordinary Catholics just trying to figure all this out. I'm talking about people with jurisdiction in the, in the church that won't band together and say, hey, there's more of us than the other guys. Why don't we... So you, if you want to just expand on that a little bit, give people kind of a, a taste of what that book is about. Because I think when people, when they, when they understand that principle, it all makes sense. Everything that happened, everything that's happened, it all makes sense. Well, thank you, George. You're, you're, you're too kind. Um, so, so a few things. So first of all, I, I will repeat publicly what I have said privately to people, and that is I am willing to debate uh, these these deniers out there, uh, and what I get is silence. I I I, I request debates, uh, public discussions of these things, and I get crickets. Um, I'll give credit to Stephen O'Reilly, who uh, wrote a book claiming that Benedict's resignation was valid. I'll I'll give him kudos for at least uh, publicly debating me uh, on the subject, but. Uh, the other pope splainers uh, have not. The same people who will claim that if if you don't think Francis is pope, that makes you schismatic. Uh, they're the same people that won't debate the subject. Um, so let me begin at the beginning and say that uh, as an educated layperson, uh, I took my cue not from my own personality, but from Father Nicholas Gruner, who was the authority on Fatima for 40 years. Um, and uh, he said in October of 2014, November 2014, that Benedict, because he did not renounce the Munis, did not resign validly. And he quoted canon law. Canon 188. Canon 332. And uh, I took my cue also from another priest. I mean, as lay people, we're supposed to be led by the clergy. Well, I, I've done that. Um, Monsignor Nicola Books, who was a friend of Cardinal Ratzinger, was a collaborator with him 
at the Office of uh, Liturgical Celebrations and of the Causes of Saints. And uh, in, in an interview with uh, blogger and author Aldo Maria Valli, uh, Monsignor Books, that's B-U-X, uh, published on the, an the anniversary of the Miracle of the Sun, October 13th, 2018. Speaking of solutions to the crisis in the church, this is what Books said. That we ought to, quote, study more accurately the question concerning the juridical validity of Pope Benedict XVI's renunciation. Is this, is this microphone on? Five years into the Bergolian headship of the church, you've got a close collaborator of Pope Benedict telling us we ought to study more accurately the question concerning the juridical validity of Pope Benedict XVI's renunciation. That is to say, whether it was full or partial or doubtful, since the idea of a sort of collegiate papacy seems to me decidedly against the gospel text. That's why I say that perhaps a thorough study of the resignation could be more useful and profitable than trying to prove that Francis is a heretic. I, I think that that was what he was talking about earlier in the interview. And uh, he's trying to, to tell Aldo Maria Valli, I don't think that's the way to go. The way to go is to demonstrate that Ratzinger's um, resignation or re renunciation was just not valid. The next pope could have been St. Pius X in, in, in his moral integrity. He still wouldn't have been a pope if Pope Benedict did not resign valid. Um, that's why I say that perhaps a thorough study of the resignation could be more useful and profitable, as well as helping to overcome problems that today seem insurmountable to us. Well, in answer to Monsignor Books's request, I wrote this book. <laughs> it took me three years to research it and, and write it. Now, I could, I could quote other people, Archbishop Vigano, uh, basically saying the same thing. Um, and uh, again, uh, we lay people are merely reacting to what the clergy have encouraged us to do, or in the case of Benedict and uh, his uh, right hand, Archbishop Georg Ganswein, we're only reacting to what they did. They did an innovation. Uh, for almost 10 years, Benedict called himself Pope, even if he added the word emeritus. There is no such thing in canon law, Pope emeritus. There's been no such office in 2000 years of Catholic history. Um, he dressed in white. He lived in the Vatican. He imparted his apostolic blessing to people 
which is something that only a pope can do. He was referred to as his holiness, which is a, a title that only a pope can have. Um, and I'm, I'm strange because I talk about this. I have a problem. You talking to me? Uh, this is what Archbishop Georg Ganswein said. Well, again, I don't want to give too much away here, but on in my book, I have the full text of Archbishop Georg Ganswein's May 2016 speech where he talks about a collegial papacy, a synodal papacy involving not just, well, by its nature, involving more than one person. So not just Francis, but Benedict simultaneously. I've got the complete text in English translation. Um, I've got the complete text of Benedict's speech right before he stepped to the side, explaining his resignation in his last Wednesday audience to the people of the church, to the people of Rome and to the church at large. Um, but Ganswine also, in June of 2016, two weeks after his uh, infamous synodal papacy speech, said the following. He said, when Paul, when journalist and author Paul Bada, B-A-D-D-E, interviewed Ganswine just two weeks after his May 2016 speech, Ganswine referred to Francis as, quote, the lawfully elected and lawful pope. That is to say, there are not two popes, the one lawful, the other unlawful. That is simply not correct. That's on the one hand. And by the way, that statement from Ganswine refutes the Ratzinger Code of a certain Italian author and journalist who's been promoting uh, that notion of things. Um, and then Ganswine goes on to say, I simply said, he's referring to May 2016, a few weeks earlier. I simply said, that is also what Pope Benedict said in February 2013, that he, after all, is still present with his prayers, with his sacrifices in the recinto of St. Peter. That is to say, in English, within the walls and precincts of the Vatican. And, and Ganswine continues, and that through these prayers, through these sacrifices, there shall come forth spiritual fruit for his successors and for the church. And then he says, now, meaning 2016, we have had for three years two popes. He's talking about 2013 to 2016. We've had two popes, Ganswine says, tells Paul Bata. What are you talking about? We've had two popes. 
from 2013 to, to 2016. Allegedly, there's only one, and that's Francis, right? So he says, for we now we have had for three years two popes, and I have the impression that the reality that I perceive is covered by what I have said. And there's something wrong with Dr. Mazza for drawing attention to this. You got to be kidding me. So another thing that people, the Pope Splainers, and, and I don't really have to name names. We, we know who they are. Another thing that the Pope Splainers will say is, well, you know, it's not the laity's place to judge whether the Pope is the Pope or not. Uh, just the other day, maybe a couple days ago, uh, Eric Sammons did a, who's the editor of Crisis Magazine and on the editorial board of One Peter Five, uh, did a podcast. I learned about this from Fred Martinez at his blog, The Catholic Monitor. He does a podcast and he took a question about how how can we know who the Pope is or how do we know that Francis is Pope? And apparently his answer was, uh, well, none of the cardinals have rejected him. And so we can't discuss it because none of them have said that he's not pope. Um, well, between you and me, I wonder how many of the cardinals in the College of Cardinals are still Catholic? Do they still profess all the dogmas as they have been traditionally understood by the Catholic Church. Because if they don't, they're not Catholic. And if they're not Catholic, they're not even bishops, let alone cardinals. They don't, they no longer have their office. That's a whole chapter I, I go into in, in my book. But more specifically, it's where is it written down that lay people are not able to use their God-given eyes and their God-given intellect to judge when someone is a flagrant heretic. I'll give you a concrete example. Uh, in the spring of 1378, the cardinals, in a very heated uh, uh, conclave, the, the, the crowd outside was banging on the doors and yelling and screaming that they wanted an Italian pope because for the last 70 years, the popes had been uh, in, their, in their own private exile in Avignon, France, which they had no business being there, which a lay, a, a, an unlettered lay woman, St. Catherine of Siena, went and told the pope, you have to go back to Rome. D didn't you promise that to God? And that was something he had never told anybody. When he died in Rome, thanks to St. Catherine's intercession, when he died in Rome, they held a conclave in April of 1378. They elected a new pope. And because of the pressure of the crowd, they did elect an Italian rather than a Frenchman. Urban VI, if I'm not mistaken. Well, six months later, they said, OK, we're doing a do-over. Uh, we were under duress. We didn't 
pick a real pope. We picked an anti-pope. Now we're picking Cardinal George to be the new pope. Well, using Eric Salmon's logic, since all of the living cardinals who six months earlier acknowledged Urban VI as pope, since they now acknowledged a different man as pope, we should all go along with what the cardinals say, apparently, because we're unlettered lay people, although I do have three letters behind my name. It, it took me 10 years and tens of thousands of dollars of student loan debt to actually get those letters behind my name, <laughs> to be honest with you. So you follow the logic of that? So the same cardinals who first told us that Urban VI was the pope, six months later said to a man, no, the new pope now is Cardinal, uh, Cardinal Robert. Cardinal Robert is the, is the new pope. I forget the anti-pope's name because really the church later on declared that he was an anti-pope, this new pope who was claiming to be pope at the same time as Urban VI. Well, if we had listened to the cardinals, they're supposed to know better than us, right? We would have been wrong. But guess who challenged those very same cardinals? An unlettered lay nothing, a woman, Catherine of Siena. She wrote them a letter saying, the true pope is Urban VI. This guy is an anti-pope. Y'all should be ashamed of yourselves. So don't tell me that lay people can't judge who the pope is. St. Catherine of Siena did it. We're supposed to follow the example of the saints. End of discussion. Since you were talking about, if we can go in a little different direction just quickly, uh, you were talking about how the how Satan has run psyops on us. Uh, it appears from every indication that we're having a psyop run on us and we're facing alien, uh, not alien, but uh, disclosure. Uh, have you looked into exactly if there's any uh, any anything that's been spoken towards that in either private revelation or biblical revelation? And uh, I know that a lot of that would just be speculation, but it would be something that would be uh, happening now. And it looks like it, it is imminent. Uh, could you speak to that? Yes, it's, it's not my particular area uh, of expertise by any stretch. But uh, in the book of Revelation, uh, the Apocalypse, it does say that the prophet of the Antichrist and the Antichrist himself will be able to work uh, certain miracles that will get, you know, the masses to believe in them. And in fact, sacred scripture says that if God did not shorten the, the days, they would deceive even the elect. As, as many otherwise decent people in the Catholic Church, a lot of the Pope's plainers, they've been deceived, um, even though they're good people. And if, if God were to allow this farce to continue much longer, uh, we'd all end up losing our souls uh, by going along with the Pied Pipers here. But more specifically to the question about the aliens. Uh, so whatever 
technology uh, we're going to be offered uh, by by the you know in, let's put it this way: if the governments of the world or the one world government tells us that uh, the aliens have have given us uh, new energy resources or they've given us new technologies and they begin to demonstrate some of these things and everybody goes along with it well that would seem to corroborate what's in the pages of sacred scripture as as what's happening uh as to the question of of how extraterrestrials relate to to the scriptures um that on itself would seem to rule out the existence of extraterrestrials um i'll, I'll do this on two levels the first of all revelation and then second of all reason according to revelation our first parents rejected god and so god became man in order to restore our relationship with him so jesus christ is true god and true man in other words he's creator and he is creature and so he has a physical body in heaven he has the wounds of the cross on his body forever his humanity his creatureliness is intimately uh, connected with his divinity are we supposed to believe that we are the only race of beings in the universe that are physical we're the only ones that screwed up and did not need redemption because if somebody else needed if some other race of beings needed redemption well then how did god redeem them I mean, Jesus only has one body, a human body. He doesn't have a Martian body or an Alpha Centauri body. How could he have to walk around with two bodies at the same time? Do you guys remember that movie from the early 70s with Rosie Greer and Ray Milland, the incredible two-headed thing? I guess Rosie Greer should have stuck to football. Um, but uh, anyway, uh, so from the point of revelation it doesn't make sense that there are other civilizations out there in the universe from the perspective of reason or science let me quote again dr hugh ross the astronomer he pointed out in a recent podcast that nasa and the european space administration have been telling people there are 40 billion habitable worlds, planets, just in our Milky Way galaxy alone. People hear that and they say, well, of course, extraterrestrials exist. Billions and billions, as, as Carl Sagan used to say, right? Those of us who are old enough remember the 1980 public uh, television miniseries Cosmos. Um, he was very good, Carl Sagan, at uh, firing the imagination, especially of young people, uh, in talking about science. But the guy was a complete atheist. Um, but anyway, Dr. Ross explains that the reason why they say that there are 40 billion habitable worlds 
is because out of 5,000, uh, let me let me backtrack on that. So where do they get that? Well, one of the things that you need to have life as we know it, and, and by the way, life as we know it is the only thing that there is. That, that this idea that there's other universes or other laws of physics is a discussion for another day. But in order to have to have life, one of the habitable zones you have to be in is a zone where liquid water is possible. Now, liquid water is only possible when you are a certain distance from the star that you uh, encircle, correct? So uh, if you are further away, you don't have liquid water, you have solid. If you're closer, you don't have liquid water, you have steam, you have gas. So uh, that's where they get this notion that there's 40 billion habitable planets. But what they don't point out, Dr. Ross says, is that not only do you need to be in a habitable zone in terms of liquid water, but you need to be in a habitable zone as regards the rays of the sun, the ultraviolet rays, which are deadly to life. That is a much smaller range to be in based on, based on your placement of where you are in relation to the, the closest star. Less than 3% of all the planets that are outside of our solar system that we've discovered fall into a, a zone that's habitable based on ultraviolet light. In other words, there are, according to NASA, uh, there are 5,380 planets outside of the solar system that have been discovered. And it's interesting that of those 5,380 planets, there's only one planet that exists in more than two habitable zones. There are 12 habitable zones that you need to be in to have life. You got to be in the one that has liquid water, and that's, that's fairly big. You got to be in one that doesn't destroy you because of the ultraviolet radiation. And then there's there's 10 others. There's only one planet that is in more than one zone, and that's the planet Earth. So once you realize this, it's actually quite unscientific to be enthusiastic about the possibility of aliens. Yeah, that that's a, uh, man, I'll tell you what, you're, you're, uh, Maybe you should be on Fox News. <laughs> I, I'm happy to be there. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you could bring it. You, you could put it. You could do this. What's the guy's name that said that we're doomed or whatever? I mean, you know, you. <laughs> we got to uh, I, I, Murdoch's ears. I got another question that came in from one of our listeners earlier. Uh, he asked or she asked, what is the significance of Bergoglio rejecting the title Vicar of Christ? <laughs> That's like asking Dr. Mazza, do you still beat your wife? <laughs> <laughs> you know, Father Altman has been taking heat lately, I think because of a speech he gave at the canceled priests conference. 
where he came out and uh, he said that uh, Bergoglio is not Catholic, therefore Bergoglio is not Pope. And that's generated a lot of heat uh, and controversy. Uh, if, you've, if you've listened to Father Altman over the last few years, he's saying basically the same thing every day, every time he gives a, an interview on LifeSite News and other uh, forums that he's been involved in. So that's, that's, that's not like, that's not news. That, that's old hat. Um, what are we to make of the fact that Bergoglio doesn't use the title uh, Vicar of Christ? In fact, in the uh, Pontifico Annuario, a, 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 a sort of an encyclopedia or an almanac that comes out every year, it's called the Pontifical Yearbook in English. I mean, every year it's been published for decades. Um, and it gives statistics on how many priests there are in the world, how many dioceses, et cetera, et cetera. It's like an almanac. Um, and when it talks about the Vicar of Christ, the Pope, the successor of St. Peter, it had in big letters, Vicar of Christ. But a few years ago, Bergoglio reduces that to a historical footnote. In other words, this is one of the titles that the popes used to use or in the past, they've used this title, sort of implying that it's no longer applicable, right? Not only that, but when he came out on the balcony, and, and, and am I the only one that got the creepy feeling when he came out on the balcony that night and started staring down everybody? That was weird. Um, he didn't have his, uh, what do they call it? the papal uh, stole that uh, that the popes normally have. Um, yeah, it, it, uh, it's interesting. He, he does want to call himself the bishop dressed in white, if we refer back. To, I talk a little bit about this in my book, but um, perhaps the bishop dressed in white that Sister Lucia saw in the third secret we thought he was the Pope. We had the impression he was the Pope. Perhaps he was not actually the Pope. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I could elaborate further, but um, perhaps we'll leave it there. Okay. Um, what are the huge numbers of stars and planets for, if not for life? Well, again, um, I suppose the short answer is the immensity of the universe shows us in, in some way through a, through a glass darkly, the immensity of almighty God. You see the, the, again, the atheist, the atheist scientists, and not all of them are atheists, but that the most vocal ones are, the atheist scientists have tried and successfully convinced the West, Americans, Europeans, that human beings are inconsequential, that we're just a little blue speck in the great vast cosmos. And really this goes back to Galileo uh, when he said that the earth is not the center of the universe, it's the sun, and the sun goes around the earth, excuse me, the earth goes around the sun, not, not the other way around. 
Well, two things here. Interestingly, although Galileo claimed this, he could not actually demonstrate it in, in, in a proof, in a demonstrable proof at that time uh, with the instruments that he had. So he was claiming as fact something which was not a demonstrated fact. It was a theory. Um, I'll, I'll leave that there. Secondly, uh, perhaps some of you know about the cosmic microwave background research that was done over the last 15 years, right? Uh, scientists promote the Big Bang, and they say as a consequence of that, there is this uh, microwave radiation that's throughout the universe, uh, which is sort of an echo from the original Big Bang. Anyway, they sent up a satellite to monitor it, to map it, so to speak. And I think it was the same month that Bergoglio came out on the balcony or that Pope Benedict resigned. But uh, it turns out that according to the, uh, see, uh, I, I, forgetting the exact title of the uh, scientific research, but what it showed in a nutshell is that Ironically, the Earth apparently, according to the cosmic background uh, uh, research, is at the center of the universe, which is not something that you would expect if the Carl Sagans of the world were right. In fact, they, they recalibrated it. They redid it a few years later because they thought that must be an anomaly. If anybody wants to research this further, um, there's a movie that came out called The Principle, and um, it, it goes into detail on this. From Anonymous, St. Francis of Assisi made the prophecy, quote, uh, a pope not canonically elected. Do you think this refers to Bergoglio? Personally, I think so. And I think it is God's way of shining a light on this prophecy, since Bergoglio took the name of, of Francis. Well, actually, I don't want to burst anybody's bubble, but, and you've, you've probably seen this on the internet, it's, it's circulated a lot over the last few years because of Bergoglio, but um, this quote-unquote prophecy from St. Francis, which is attributed to him, is attributed to him according to brother so-and-so who was one of his disciples. But this quote of brother so-and-so, which is supposed to be a quote from Francis, is not quoted from a book by brother so-and-so, but by brother such-and-such. And brother such-and-such is quoting brother so-and-so, quoting St. Francis. And by the time we get to the actual publication of the document of Brother Such and Such, we are a hundred years after the death of St. Francis. 
Now, this is the kind of thing they teach you in graduate school when you want to be a professor. How do you handle primary source documents? And how do you tell what actually happened in history or what's likely to have happened in history? You have to go through the chain of sources. It turns out that at the time that this collection came out, where this uh, prophecy of an uncanonical pope who is going to be an anti-pope and persecute the Franciscan order, etc., was at the time of Pope John the 22nd, not the 23rd, the 22nd. And Pope John the 22nd was a piece of work. This is the same Pope who, in his sermons, tried to say that when we die, if we die in a state of grace, uh, we don't see the beatific vision of God until after the last judgment. But in addition to that, he did a lot of other weird stuff. And he was against the Franciscans, or at least he was against the strict Franciscans. We call them the spiritual Franciscans because of their views on holy poverty. Uh, and so this wing of the Franciscans, these spiritual Franciscans, they thought that he was a, a straight up anti-pope. So it makes much more sense to understand this so-called prophecy of Francis, whether it, I don't think it can be attributed to him, but whoever it's attributed to in reality, it applies to Pope John the 22nd. That was the uh, target of this particular piece of writing. Um, and there's other things I, I could get into on that. Uh, let's see here. Uh, should we not be basing our opinions concerning the papacy on the root and foundation of divine revelation and not canon law. Uh, we're supposed to do both, I think. As Catholics, we're supposed to believe in what revelation tells us about the, po the Pope, and we're supposed to follow what canon law says about the Pope. And uh, canon uh, 188 says, any resignation, that is made out of substantial error is invalid by it, by the law itself. Uh, and that's a problem given uh, what Joseph Ratzinger believed about the nature of the papacy, uh, which is confirmed by his right hand, Archbishop Georg Ganswine. Um, so that's what, uh, that's what I would say about that. Do you believe we are entering the sixth age of the church as explained by the venerable father Bartholomew Hulsauser? Um, I believe I've heard of him. I believe that that's from the book Catholic. I mean, it's probably from other books as well, from the book Catholic Prophecy that Tam Books published in the early 70s. Um, but I'd have to refresh my uh, have to refresh my memory on that one. Uh, I got There's one more here, Doc. Let me take one more, and then we'll shut it down because I know people are probably tired. Uh, young, uh, I'm sure this is a young man. Or uh, he says, "How can a young man become a Catholic priest who exclusively does the traditional sacraments of the Catholic Church while still being a truthful man of integrity during his formation, and then quote quotations being transparent about his intentions all the way through?" 
So I think there's a, a young man here that's struggling. He, he, he wants to be a traditional Catholic priest, and he's having to, I guess, be transparent. Like, he has to kind of play the game yeah. to get through the system. And I think that's, man, I mean, you know, we pray for vocations, right? Yep. We ask for God to give us vocations, and here's a young man. It's, it looks like he wants to give his life to the church. And he's, like, going in with this. I mean, he should be going in with this euphoria. Instead, he's like, how do I survive for eight years? I mean, this is this is where we're gonna really feel it because, young men, where 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 are we gonna get the vocations if this is? I mean, here's a young man that's struggling. Anyway, what what? Go ahead and give us your take on that. Well, Pope Benedict the Sixteenth said that anybody who thinks that the prophetic message of Fatima is a thing of the past is uh, just deceiving themselves. And that was an amazing statement that he made because he was actually doing an about face from some earlier things he had said and some grief that he had given Father Gruner. I can talk about that another time. Um, so it was quite stunning when the Holy Father said that. And when he also said that the persecution of the church is from within. The persecution of the Pope, the persecution of traditional priests, it's from within the church, more so than even the forces of Antichrist outside the church. And again, I talk about this, I give the exact quote in my book. Um, so that's the situation that this young man finds himself in. And I can sympathize because when I was in high school and I could have considered becoming a priest, I did not for the simple fact that I would I would refuse to give communion in the hand, which quite frankly is satanic. It's an abuse against our Lord in the Eucharist. And thank God Bishop Athanasius Schneider has been beating the the bandwagon on this, among other good people in the church. Uh well, that, uh, that immediately eliminated me from the possibility of becoming a, a priest. Now, in subsequent years, I've thought about this. I suppose if someone wanted to, they could become an Eastern Rite Catholic priest because they don't give communion on the tongue or in the hand. Instead, they use a spoon and you receive it in a different way. And they still have the divine liturgy with the beautiful language. Uh, it hasn't been uh, barbarized the way the Novus Ordo is. But uh, when, when you have the church in the hands of somebody like Bergoglio, um, as, as, I, as we brought up earlier, it's only a matter of time before they get to the Eastern Rite Church as well. It would seem, it would seem that uh, the Society of St. Pius X is going to be a refuge for conscientious young men who want to stay faithful to Christ and be faithful priests. I'll leave it at that. Was Bunini a Freemason? The answer is yes. <laughs> who? First of all, who's Bunini? Bunini was the uh, archbishop who gave us the Novus Ordo, who tinkered 
with the mass um, as early as the last days of Pope Pius XII. And then under John the Twenty-Third, Paul the Sixth, and uh, Father Charles Murr, uh, in his book, um, the uh, Thirty Murder in the Thirty-Third Degree, which came out a couple of years ago, Father Charles Murr, who was in Rome in the nineteen seventies and who knew um, the good. Uh, Cardinal Gagnon. Cardinal Gagnon was tasked with the with the job of rooting out the the infiltrators of the church. And uh, one of the things that he uncovered, if I remember correctly, uh, it was Cardinal Gagnon who said that Bunini was a Freemason, and that is why Paul VI sort of exiled him or promoted him into exile as the uh, papal nuncio to Iran uh, just before the overthrow of the Shah. And that the, uh, the bishop, the archbishop who was in charge of recommending who ought to be made bishops in the church, that man was also a Freemason card-carrying Freemason. Um, so I would highly recommend the, the uh, podcasts and the books of Father Charles Murr, M-U-R-R. -R. Really got a question? Yeah. yeah, yeah. She's asking about a priest who celebrates the Novus Ordo and the traditional Latin Mass. How, how I think she's uh, asking how you uh, kind of process that as a, as a priest that. or reconcile that. Well, the best authorities that I've come across say that the Novus Ordo is valid, even if it's gravely deficient uh, in many respects. So to be a priest who sometimes says the Novus Ordo and sometimes says the traditional Latin Mass, I don't see much of a contradiction in that if, if that's the nature of the question. Uh, since Bonini was Freemason, then is it correct to say that the Novus Ordo was conceived with malice and forethought? Yeah, it looks that way. <laughs> it looks that way. Yeah, there was a, I don't know if, if you, if, if uh, right when Benedict released Samorum Pontificum, Robert Monahan uh, of Inside the Vatican gave a, a talk, and I've got the, it's on a CD, and I'm going to try to get it switched over because he talked about this exact the, the Latin Mass and how it, the description he used was, was that the Latin Mass was gnarly, right? Like an oak tree, gnarly with all the organic development and all that. And then, right. of course, the new Mass was clean shaven. It was just whittled down to, and I and I never forgot that Im image that that, wow. uh, that that he talked about, and it's a really good. It's about an hour long talk he gave out in California, and I've got it. I got the CD. I just got to figure out how to. I don't have a CD player, so I can't wow. you know, truck or anything. But it's really good. Uh, Inside the Vatican, Robert Moynihan. I think it was in two thousand seven, because Benedict released it uh, July seventh of two thousand seven. Yes, seven yes. seven seven. So it's right around that time. If y'all can download that somewhere, you need to listen to it. It's very very good it will give you some ease um i mean my wife just converted recently she loves 
the Novus Ordo, and she's not ready for the Latin Mass yet. So I love sure. the Latin Mass, and and but I sure. go with her uh, because I believe God t- tells me to support my wife, and yep, you know, and I pray about that. And there's a lot of people in that situation they can't get to the TLM. The TLM is the most beautiful Mass, the reverence, but like you said, the Novus Ordo is valid, um, and I think God will be. Uh, he understands our personal situations and yeah. he knows we're, as long as we're doing the best we can, the, the sacraments are still valid. The Eucharist is still confected properly. As long as the priest has the mind of the church, you have the right, right. form and matter, you know, and let God take care of the rest. So Amen. I do want to say a couple things here. I want to thank you for coming, doc. You're unbelievable. Uh, thank you. Two things I'd leave everybody with that are still with us. First of all, the first five Saturday devotions, try to get that established in your church, your parish. If you can talk to your priest, it's a sacrifice uh, to get up on a Saturday when you've worked hard all week and you're beat down to a nub and you got mass on Sunday and you're like, that's my one day. And then, you know, once a month you get up, but our lady, that's what she asked for. And that's what it's going to take some pain and suffering for us to, to offer enough reparation. So God will, will draw down the grace. He'll bring the grace to the church, to the Cardinals to do this consecration. It can't be humanly done. Father Gruner taught this, right? You just can't will yourself to do it. It's going to take God's grace to, to allow that to happen. And that's where we can really come in and do participate in that. And the other thing is I would ask everybody that's still with us or watches this, buy a copy of Dr. Maz's book. I mean, it's 20 bucks. And give it to your priest. Don't ask him. Just buy it and give it to him. And if you got two priests in your parish, buy two copies. I mean, that's what? That's lunch. Okay, for one day, we can get we can give that up, and get that book into people's hands. You can't you can't force them to read it. I've been doing this, you know, for a while with Doc, and you just all you can do is 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 is, is give people the opportunity to read it because that book will change. I believe it'll change the church. I believe when people are open to receive it, like in Nefarious, right? Even at the end of that, if you haven't seen Nefarious, at the very end, you know, this guy's had all this stuff happen to him, and, and, and Glenn Beck asks him, so are you a believer now? He goes, I wouldn't say that. And I'm like, what's going to take for you to be a believer, man? You should put a gun to your head. I mean, you know what I'm saying? I'm like, this is kind of where we're at, right? And, and so I don't know of anywhere else where we have the tools to put this thing where it needs to be. We don't have any authorities lay people, but we can get this information to clergy. And I think that's the first step. So that's what everybody can afford $20. That's a lunch. Like I said, give it up, buy the book, and or buy two copies or three. Keep one for yourself and then give one to your pastor or even your bishop. And ask your, before you give it to them, look them in the eye and say, Pastor, Bishop, will you, do you promise me you'll read this book? It's cost me 20 bucks. Money's tight. But I want you to read this book and you can keep it. And if he says, I don't want to read it, then take it and go, go to the next parish. But... We're going to, we're going to, this is how we can participate. Okay. And if there was another way out there, I'd say, Hey, put your money in that doc's book needs to get in everybody's hands because everybody needs to read that book, but have them pray before they read it. Cause you have to read it in the spirit of truth and understanding and love and you, for the church. And you have to say, I want to know the truth. Thank you, George. And, um, if I could just put a footnote on that, um, if anybody lives in the Connecticut area, uh, I understand Cardinal Burke is going to celebrate a special mass uh, on July 25th. Uh, I forget the occasion, but uh, if anybody can get a copy of that into his hands, uh, I think that'd be awesome. But uh, absolutely, uh, I forget the exact church 
uh, that he's going to be at. But I think among traditional Catholics, it's kind of famous anyway. All right. Okay. Well, we've got weapons, guys. We got weapons that we can fight back with, and we can do our part. We're not. We're not invalids. You know, God has placed people in our lives to help us during this time. He doesn't leave us orphans. We just have to understand where those people, those things are, and then we have to hold on to those and 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 be faithful to the church's teachings that have always been taught before Vatican II, and also trust in Our Lady and the message of Fatima. And if you don't know the true message of Fatima, get with Doc, because he'll teach you. And he'll get you the Fatima Center. It's got unbelievable materials to you where you can really learn about the message of Fatima, because it's relevant for our times. It's relevant for our times. It's really our only way out. We've tried everything else, and it hasn't worked. So He'll be at St. John's in Stanford, Connecticut. St. John's, Stanford, Connecticut. Well, Cardinal Burke on the July 25th. So if anybody's in that area, please get a copy of that book in his hands. All right. Okay, Doc. We're going to say a Hail Mary. And thank you again for your time and your, your wisdom and your, uh, your research to find all this stuff about the aliens, man. I had no idea. <laughs> Unbelievable. Thank you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mary Mother, Mother of God, of God pray, pray for us sinners, sinners now and at, now the, at hour the hour of our death. Amen. amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Okay. Thank you. God bless you, Doc. God Thank bless you. you. righty. God bless you all. Take care. Take care now. This is FatimaSouls.com.